This is a Media Lab podcast. How do you like my new cape, Dave? That's that's a lot of sequence. It's uh, it, it swishes as I move. Yeah, it's uh, it swishes real nice. <laughs> it's something. Can I can I leave it at that? It is it is a thing. What would your superhero power be if you were to have a superhero power? Probably pleasantness. I think that'd be a good one. Yeah. <laughs> that's a bullshit answer if I've ever heard one. <laughs> well, what about you? What's your uh, what's your deep thought on this? Well, I'm already invisible to the world, so I might as well just take that on. In his own garage, Kyle has built a machine. Cobbled together with parts found in his friend's church basement and a dumpster behind the local Dairy Queen, this monstrosity is now alive and evil. Kyle has convinced his friend Dave to help stop the apocalypse by reviewing films the machine picks. The ultimate purpose is still unknown, and Kyle could have probably done this himself, but he's not being dragged to hell alone. This, this is, is Kyle and Dave, Dave versus, versus the, machine. the Machine. Welcome to Kyle and Dave versus the Machine. My name is Kyle. I'm a pleasant man. David. And I'm the machine. A podcast where a sentient machine forces us to watch movies in order to prevent it from initiating the apocalypse. Although we do tend to talk about the idea of the movie rather than the movie itself. And we are trucking along here talking about movies from 1999. Today, we're going to be watching the film Mystery Men. In a place called Champion City, the forces of good and evil. Captain Amazing. What a surprise. Are about to collide. Well, we've always been each other's greatest nemesis. It's a sigh. Nemesis. Nemesis. <laughs> now, with the city's one true hero missing... Captain Amazing is in danger. Kaboom. Who will step forward... You again. Wannabes. ...to answer the call of justice. Don't mess with the volcano, my man. Because I will go Pompeii on your... But oh, golly. So Dave, uh, I'm curious, what is your history with Mystery Man? I'm excited. I, I mean, I haven't watched this movie in a long time. It is one of the digital video discs, which I still have in my possession. I can't remember the last time I watched it, probably more than 10 years ago, but I really liked it. Whatever it is. And I think it was, uh, you know, the height of that little... I don't know what that team was, but the uh, Janine Garofalo, Ben Stiller sort of, uh, right? Sarcastic yeah, mid-90s comedy. I, I feel like bef before we even start watching this, my sense is that this has that contingent of alt comedy people yeah. from like the mid to late 90s that were big for certain people, but most people didn't care about. Uh, no, <laughs> There's that, that core it, group of people that we cared it about. It was big for the people I care about. Which is me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was big for me. Such a prick, Kyle. I have, once again, this feels like a recurring theme here for the last few movies. I know a lot about this movie in that people have praised it. People say it's like, was ahead of its time a little bit. That it got a little bit forgotten when it originally came out. And uh, I've never seen it. Never seen a single frame from this movie other than I know the basic plot set up for this movie. That would explain your complete lack of humor. Well, I guess we shall see. Uh, I'm excited to see it. This is, of course, to put this into context, this is pre-X-Men films. This is pre, of course, like Marvel taking over the world and like owning Hollywood for the last decade. 
So it is a very different world that this superhero film came out in. I think the Schumacher Batmans had probably just finished their run at this point. So I think that's what people had in their mind when they thought superhero film. So I'm, I'm interested to jump back and see if, I don't know, if it holds up to our modern day sensibilities or if it's just a product of its time. So uh, let's do that. I'm going to go thank some sponsors because Dave refuses. It's in his contract. And when we come back, we'll be talking about Mystery Man. Down with capitalism. Hey there, everyone. Just Kyle here again, here to talk about some of the people and organizations that help this show going and uh, convince you that it is not just sheer force of will and an inability to admit when we're wrong. Kyle and Dave vs. the Machine is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, community supported. The Alberta Podcast Network promotes and supports Alberta-made podcasts and connects their audiences with Alberta-based businesses and organizations. This episode of Kyle and Dave vs. the Machine is brought to you by Park Power, a provider of electricity and natural gas in Alberta that offers low rates, awesome service, and profit sharing with local charities. In Alberta, you get to choose who to buy your energy from. Park Power has low overhead, and chances are you'll save money if you switch. You can find out how much money you could save by visiting parkpower.ca and plugging your numbers into the Alberta Energy Savings Calculator. If you decide to switch, it's easy. Nothing changes about your service, only the price you pay. Learn more at parkpower.ca. Today, I also want to tell you about ATB's new podcast, The Future Of. Join Todd Hirsch, ATB's Vice President and Chief Economist, as he connects with special guests who offer unique and useful perspectives about the future. Explore how our economy and communities can not only brace for change, but embrace the opportunity it creates, from the future of women in business to the changing nature of work itself. The future of helps us understand what's coming and what we need to do today to get the tomorrow we want. Featuring two episodes each month plus bonus episodes, The Future Of includes interviews with top community and business leaders from Alberta and around the world. Subscribe to The Future Of in the Apple Store, Google Play, Spotify, and everywhere podcasts are found. And connect to ask your questions about the future by emailing thefutureof at atv.com. All right. Well, we we did it. We watched the movie, Dave. Yeah. Uh, were you were you crying at the end? I I like this movie still. Um, okay. There are things that have not aged well. I think it was fun. I, I had some good laughs. Mister Furious is one of the don't. funniest things ever. Mm. I, I don't know if we want to spoil it. I but, I, yeah. I definitely did not hate this movie. And we'll leave it at that. <laughs> um, <laughs> so let's go through some some backstory here. Mystery Man was released August 6th of 1999. It came out the same week of The Iron Giant and The Sixth Sense. So it was a pretty stacked weekend when, when this film debuted. <laughs> Currently, it is rated 6.1 on IMDb, 65 on Metacritic. And then over on Rotten Tomatoes, based on 104 critics reviews, it's at 61%. And based on 133,258 user reviews, it's at 57%. So pretty close, the users and the and the critics. Although technically, I think that means it is a non-fresh film. Uh, I don't think it is. It's uh, reached the threshold that it needs. It's available on DVD and Blu-ray. 
You can also buy or rent it on iTunes or Google Play Movies, but not on any streaming services as of right now. Uh, its budget, hold on to your hats, folks. Its budget was $68 million somehow. It opened to $10 million. Domestically, it would make 29 Internationally, it would make 3 so its total was $33 million or $51.4 million after inflation. So it did not even get half of its budget back at the box office. Its plot description from IMDb is a group of inept amateur superheroes must try to save the day when a supervillain threatens to destroy a major superhero and the city. It stars Ben Stiller as Furious slash Roy, Jeffrey Rush as Casanova Frankenstein, William H. Macy as Shoveler slash Eddie, and Hank Azaria as Blue Raja slash Jeff. They only named those such a male-centric world. I thought Ginny... I was going to say the same thing. Yeah. You would think that there would be at least one female in this group. Ginny Gruff... If it was made today, it probably would be. Yeah, the but. bowler's uh, the bowler's such an important and crucial... She might be the only one with mm-hmm. actual superpowers. Does she show up at the beginning of the film? She does not. She shows up at the uh, halfway mark. Just, so I just being. I'm sorry. I just being. This is what guy. the machine did. The machine maybe just went to IMDb and looked at the first four names in the list and decided from there Fucking who machine. to pick. Who knows? Hank Azaria was born April 25th, 1964. His first roles were on TV movies in the late 1980s, but his first feature film was in Pretty Woman from 1990. Uh, it would be pretty hard not to say that the single biggest cultural impact he's had is. Be- is by providing the voices of dozens of characters on the TV show The Simpsons. Some of the big ones are Chief Wiggum, Moe, Kirk, Lou, Dr. Nick, Cletus, and until recently, Apu. He began as a guest star on that show's very first episode and soon became a series regular until the present day. He's done other voice work as well as taking on highly acclaimed supporting roles in films like Quiz Show, Heat, The Birdcage, Godzilla, and Dodgeball. That's a great movie. Uh, he's also, yeah, Dodgeball's great, uh, which also stars Ben Stiller, so good to know. He's also been able to star in a few highly regarded live-action TV shows, first with Huff, which ran for two seasons, and then most recently, Brockmire, which just finished its three-season run. He continues lending his voice to The Simpsons, and up next is a short film called Ask Me If I Care. Its plot description is... Rhea, a freckled, self-conscious teenager, searches for love and identity in the 1979 San Francisco punk scene. I I feel like there's a missed opportunity to read the synopsis of this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Hank Azari's been providing both of our voices from the entire, from the start of this whole entire thing. It's called Ask Me If I Care. It's great. Yeah. (laughs) William H. Macy was born March 13th, 1950. His first role was as a teenager in the TV series Another World, but he wouldn't come to prominence until the early 1980s. One of those early roles was an uncredited role in War Games. He'd spend his time being a guest star in TV series for years until finding some success in films such as Benny and June, Searching for Bobby Fischer, The Client, and Mr. Holland's Opus. The late 90s would be fruitful for William H. Macy as he finally found his groove being in high-profile roles in Fargo, Ghosts of Mississippi, Boogie Nights, Wag the Dog, and Pleasantville. For the past nine years, he's been starring on the TV show Shameless, but currently there is no upcoming projects. Favorite William H. Macy role? Oh, I don't know. Uh, n- name them. Fargo is pretty hard to beat, yeah, personally. I, I, but. I, I like him in every time. I like him in everything that I've seen him in, but I 
Because he's, he's one of those great character actors. Like he just shows up and like, oh, it's William H Macy. Yeah, this is great. Yeah, even uh, what was that crappy movie, Maiden Heist? It's not yeah, a very yeah, good yeah. movie, but he's great now. <laughs> you know, he's uh, he's he's weird. He's got a great. Uh, he's got a lot of range, Kyle. He's got a lot of range. I mean, from one to three, but yes, he's got a, he's got a range. Uh, Dave, I'm going to send you over the next things that the machine wants us to read. Let's take a look here. Jeffrey Rush. Born July 6th, 1951. He was born in Australia. Rush would begin in the theater and come to high acclaim for his command of the stage. He would jump to film in the 1980s, being in a handful, being in a handful of movies such as Starstruck and Twelfth Night. They would be a large... Well, it took us five tries. That was great. <laughs> we'll leave them all in just for the, <laughs> just for the documentarian uh, authenticity yeah. of the recording. There would be a large gap between those movies and his next role in Shine from 1996, which would win him an Academy Award for Best Actor. Is that Rachmaninoff? I think so. Uh, I don't think that's who he's portraying, but he's a pianist in that one. Yeah, yes. the thing he can't get is Rachmaninoff's... Oh, uh, right, 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 yeah. I can't remember I think you're case. right, then. I think it is a Rachmaninoff thing. Um, from there, he would become a well-known character actor, popping up in things such as Shakespeare in Love, Quills, Frida, the Pirates of the Caribbean franchise, Munich, and Best Picture winner, The King's Speech. The last film credit he has is Storm Boy from 19... Oh, sorry. Is Storm Boy from 2019. There are no upcoming film roles. Ben Stiller was born November 30th, 1965. His first role was as a guest star on a 1986 episode of Kate and Allie. He would dabble in comedy. That's a great word, dabble. Even being a writer for Saturday Night Live in the late 80s before starring in his own show called The Ben Stiller Show, which ran for three seasons. He would then transfer to movies, having starring roles in Reality Bites and an uncredited role in Happy Gilmore. He would try his hand at directing while also starring in The Cable Guy, Zoolander, Tropic Thunder, and the drama The Secret Life of Walter Mitty. Is that drama? Dramedy? I mean, I think it's more drama than comedy, That's that movie. That's probably but. fair. It's, uh, it's also, yeah, just weird. It is weird. He's lent his voice in the Madagascar series and shown up in a smattering of films. This is clearly written by you, Kyle. As <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> shown up in a... You don't, use, you don't use smattering in everyday speech? Well, I think I use it in, in a different... Uh, no, I, 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 oh. I, I don't. I just, I just don't. Well, this machine does take over my mannerisms sometimes, so... All of these written opinions are mine and mine alone. But his last high-profile role was in the Meyerowitz... Meyerowitz... Hmm. Meyerowitz. Meyerowitz, right? In the Meyerowitz stories from 2017. There are no acting roles upcoming. However, he has been announced as being a director for an episode of the upcoming series, Super Sad True Love Story. I, I think it should be also pointed out is that there is... No matter how talented you think Bensler is or is not, there is maybe a certain degree of nepotism with his father sure. being like huge comedy star back in like the 50s, 60s, and of course on Seinfeld and King of Queens, well, that sort of thing. That's clearly a little bias there, a little anti Ben Stiller uh, attitude there. Because no, I love Ben Stiller. I'm just you? saying it's not like he was like he cr he crawled up from like the lowest ranks of comedy to have a career fine but i don't think he says that he's not one of these guys that like nick cage who tries to hide his uh familiar, right, right, right. you know ties by changing he's he's been on talk shows with his dad since he was uh, a young man 
He owns it. Kyle. Don't call me Coppola. Don't call me Coppola. <laughs> hey, you're the cage fan here. You're the cage fan. Bees. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. Written by Neil Cuthbert, based on the comic book series written by Bob Burton. Burden. Neil Cuthbert wrote the great, in Kyle's opinion, Hocus Pocus movie before this film. <laughs> yes. Which I love that movie. It's a great movie. Uh, Bed Midler. Yeah, Bette Midler, sure. Sarah Jessica Parker, and uh, Kathy and Jimmy. Oh, right. He then wrote this film, and then The Adventure of Pluto Nash. He's written nothing else since then. Poor Eddie Murphy. He's got to carry <laughs> He's that. He's a very it. short CV. It's these three <laughs> movies. That's it. Oh, yeah. So, there you go. I guess, apparently, The Adventures of Pluto Nash came out, and then nobody they're, wanted him to write anything they're else. They were just like, no, that's not... Who knows? Hopefully, he's got a, hopefully he's got a full life around him (laughs) directed by kinka usher he made a name for himself by directing car commercials for nissan and volvo mystery men is the only film he's ever directed i'm just thinking uh, suddenly of the uh, jean-claude van damme uh, splits truck commercial for some reason (laughs) yeah i don't know if that was him or not maybe it was who knows but it's interesting that uh, at least the the creative direction the writer and director both uh to not have like super long Hollywood careers. I don't know if this film was the cause of that or or what, but I'm not gonna make a big argument defending them that they should be making movies in Hollywood, uh, as we'll discuss. Uh, I like this movie on different merits, let's say, than its uh, mm. uh, filmmaking, uh, whatever you want to mm-hmm. call it, not nuance. But well, let's let's get into that then. Dave, hit me. What is your overall thoughts of what is my movie? Mystery Men <laughs> of Mystery Men. You gotta leave that in there because clearly yeah. that's painting a picture of what you thought of Mystery Men. I liked it. I think it's funny. It's got, you know, it relies so much on the cultural knowledge of 60s Batman comic book sort of mm-hmm. lore and visuals. And uh, and like you brought up in the intro, we come to it now uh, with a completely different worldview of what comic book movies are supposed to be like. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I don't know if that's necessarily, I should point out before I talk about my feelings, I don't think that necessarily is the movie's fault, but it is just a different context. There's no way to approach this movie without having 15 years of comic book films in between well, just, this and... It goes to show too, like, uh, I, I can't remember if we brought this up before, but when the first Iron Man, or even uh, Christopher Nolan's Batman, but when the when yeah. the new epoch started... They they shook the movie world because they were films, right? I mean, Iron Man was a little bit more campy and fun, but it was a film. Uh, it was like, right. uh, you know, it had a big movie budget and structure. Whereas this one, like you talked about, alt comedy, indie, it looks like it could have been made for TV. But uh, I don't know. I, I like I like the writing. I like the concept. Uh, I've never found the comic book after I was a fan of this movie, but I love the inversion and the fun concept of the guys that just can't make the cut banding together with just completely yeah. ridiculous uh, anti-superhero power powers uh, it was fun they're they're basically all batman like none of them actually have a superpower no no, no. no they've got superpowers right i mean i can't shovel the way the shoveler shovels <laughs> right well you got me there you got me there I, the the funniest super you are a pretty nifty bowler though i will say uh, the, the funniest superpower has to be invisible boy I, I love the intro where he's like you know when i'm by myself and nobody can see me i i'm invisible and uh as soon as someone looks at me i'm not and 
but it's true, actually, right? The, he has a power, Kyle. You're dismissing him. He uh, he well, saves I the mean, day. He's a, he, he legitimately has a power. It's shown that he actually can disappear. Well, that's so. the thing. Uh, so fuck off with your judgment, Kyle. No one has superpowers. <laughs> they all have superpowers. At the end of the day, don't we all have superpowers when you really think about I know it? No, I do. Neither of you do. I could crush you like the flakiest of pastry. I have something deep inside of me. You're called resentment man for a reason, Dave. And you know what I really liked this time around, although I thought it was funny to begin with, but the phoenix and his Buddhist, Taoist, tautological idioms, if you want to call it that, I found it extra funny because that's how I... I frame my spiritual life now with the with these aphorisms, you know. Yeah, uh, where none of them mean anything really when you break it don't down. They, Kyle? But... Don't they? Oh, oh, wait a second! <laughs> you just blew my mind. Yeah, I, I mean, as a film, yeah, it's it's corny. It, it's it's weird. It's speaking of character actors, uh, what's his face is Captain Amazing. Uh, Greg Kinnear. Greg Kinnear. I mean, uh, who's great? I have to say, he's probably my favorite part in the movie. Weirdly enough, well, his is his portrayal of like the Superman character. I loved. Uh, yeah, he was great for that, and I loved as an actor how he goes from arrogant, cocky, sellout dick to complete desperation at the end, and he just. Uh, mm-hmm. He plays that really well. He sweats in it. I don't know if it was spray on. Uh, and I like Jeffrey Rush a lot in it. As one-dimensional as his character is, uh, it's just, you know, it's just silly. What a great name, I have to say. Casanova Frankenstein is just... Clearly... It's a great name. Clearly from a it's comic It's ridiculous, book. but it's a great name. Yeah, it has to be from a comic book writer. You know, Hollywood writers are yeah. not capable of uh, that kind of uh, insight. You're your first, folks. Hollywood writers Sh- can't write for shit. Hams. Um, I thought it was fun. Well, here's... Okay, so here's my... Not, I know we just finished watching this movie. Dave. We just finished watching it. It's not as if I watched this movie like two weeks ago. Oh, right. we were and just because here. of scheduling conflicts where we're not able to actually record until now. Um, I'm just going to say that if that were the case, it's really hard for me to remember a single thing that actually happened <laughs> in this movie. <laughs> okay, can we, can we put a quick caveat that it's not like yeah. you didn't watch anything between then and now? <laughs> <laughs> you don't know that. You don't know that. If hypothetically um, speaking, if you had to put a number yeah. of movies, television shows, musicals, and events that have happened yeah, in yeah. the hypothetical world of two weeks, I mean, there's maybe a cool two dozen, <laughs> but we don't know that, Dave. In this hypothetical world that you have constructed, fabrication. Anyways, what I'm saying is because I don't have any nostalgia really for this property. Coming to it, it's like I don't think it's awful. I'm not. That's not my position here. But it's just like. It's a it's a movie that happens, and I think part of it is because of that time scale. <sighs> Again, I don't think it's a it's necessarily the movie's fault for not like predicting where superhero movies were going to go. But what I will say is, it's I think it's just this weird situation where this is absolutely based on a comic book, and it is commenting on stuff that was happening in comic books, but not really commenting on stuff that was happening in superhero films. So it's this weird thing that it's satirizing something that if you were not a comic book fan i don't think there's an in for you as much um if you if you're not a comic book fan so i I felt i felt that like dynamic a little bit weird however having said that i have always loved the movies that are like it's a ragtag bunch of people who have to come together and defeat the evil thing like I've, i've just always liked those types of films and i do like how they decided to take the Greg Kinnear, uh, not Captain Fantastic, Captain Amazing, Amazing yep. who is this like inversion of the Superman character, 
and do this lovely like spin with it. Like he's totally sold out. I love the fact that no one knows who he is, but he puts his glasses Amazing. on. You know what I mean? It's like, but he wears glasses. He can't possibly be his <laughs> alter ego, right? So I like all that kind of stuff. It's great. I think it gets a little bit too bogged down, like going around with all of our like trio of heroes uh, a little bit. This is a movie. Let me just double check it here. Uh, see how long this movie actually is. Yeah, it's two hours. It's a two hour long movie. I think out of anything, this needed to be like 90 minutes total. They probably could have cut a lot of the fluff out and really just pared it down. I, I felt it dragged a lot in, in the middle portion of it, for sure. The But the, yeah, there's some good comedy beats. There's some good interplay. But at the end of the day, I just there's nothing about this movie that ever makes me want to watch it again. I don't think it's like, a super clever comedy. There's some good comedy beats, like I said, but it's, I don't think it's particularly directed well. Yeah, there's, there's nothing, there's no in for me really to get into this movie. I, I feel that if this was, it wouldn't be this direct adaptation, of course, but I can understand what people are saying where it almost came out a bit too early. Of course, there've been like the Superman films, the four Superman films, and there've been the Tim Burton Batman, the Schumacher Batmans. I'm trying to think if there's any like other big superhero films that would have come out at that time. I don't think there had been. Unless you want to count Swamp Thing. Like, had this come out uh, even like a decade after this, like in 2009, I think you could have started to play around a little bit with what it was satirizing and commenting on. And people would have been a little bit more open to it. You can see that obviously people were not flocking to see this movie. Uh, whether that was because of poor marketing, I don't know. But I, I think there's people that have a bit of too much nostalgia for this movie because I don't think it necessarily holds up. That's my position on this movie, at least. You know, when you brought up uh, needing a, a connection to the comic book world, I think you're dead on. Because, you know, the late 90s is when Marvel and DC hit this wall where people stopped giving a shit about them and Image and Dark oh, yeah. Horse came well, out. And, and they were writing, let's call a spade a spade. It was bad stories. Right. Like they had bad stories in the Marvel comic books at that time that were not engaging people. And I think I was, I mean, I wasn't a total comic book nerd in this. Like I didn't go to signings or I didn't have like a, well, I tried mm -hmm. to and I got in trouble. So we won't get into that bitterness. Because um, <laughs> you tried to sign them yourself. Uh, no, yeah. I just uh, had parents who thought uh, comic books were the devil. Oh, I see. Got in trouble that yeah, way. I see. I see. Uh, no, um. The context in which I watch this movie is knowing where, or like having a, a, a sense of where comic books were at that era and not comparing it. Like, like you just brought up, I don't know if I can name comic book movies of any importance around that time other than Tim Burton's Batman. And I'd completely disassociated myself from Schumacher's world. Uh, so, uh, and then I was a big fan, of course, of the late 70s, early 80s Superman, you know. Uh, Christopher Reeve was amazing. Right. Um, so there are parts that do play on that, but the trope is more comic books. And it, and it makes sense because it comes from a comic book that's meant to make fun of other comic books. It's not written as a movie to make fun of other movies. So I think, I, yeah, I, I completely agree with you. I think if we were to just leave this in the realm of movies alone, the movie doesn't actually make a lot of connections. It uh, mm -hmm. kind of stands alone uh, in and of itself. I think you underplay a little bit some of the, the comedic, let's call it energy of it. But I also sure. suspect, you know, everybody has a different sense of humor. I, I've always liked like Janine Garofalo, this uh, dry sarcasm, Ben Stiller, particularly in this era and Zoolander stuff, because he's just uh, an idiot. It's fun to watch him because he's, he's insane. And then the character actors, it's funny 
to bring up, I forgot the Hank Azaria it was the voice of Apu, but uh, the Blue Mirage was such a, a ridiculous character. But mm-hmm. um, if anything, he's probably the weirdest <laughs> and most ill-fitting uh, of sure. the group. But um, and they, and then the silliness of what's the sphincter? What are the farting guy? You know that stuff doesn't play yeah, yeah. anymore. But uh, that was still it, a trope it, that worked in the nineties. Um, it's gross. I think I think you're right. And- we we often do this on this show about trying to put ourselves back in 1999 sometimes. And I think that, I don't think this tone is like drastically different than what you would see in a lot of 90s films uh, in and of itself. I do think, not that I know what we're going to be reviewing next week, Dave, but, uh, but if I was to make an, an analogy, I think that what usually holds up better for comedy for me, I'll just speak for myself, is comedy where the people portraying it, the actors are not getting too hammy with the roles, where they're almost playing it straight. We're like, I'm serious, I'm talking about this, and then funny things happens around them. I find those hold up better than like, I'm mugging for the camera and I'm like real trying to make this like joke work. That always kind of reeks of desperation a little bit for me. Um, you want, I, I just want them to like just allow the comedy to breathe instead of being like, I'm hitting a punchline right now, so you should be laughing. Uh, but again, like again, '90s films were a lot like that. Like, watch any um, Pauly Shore movie from the '90s or Jim Carrey movie. Like, they're all like overacting so that you are hopefully laughing as as the audience member. They're literally slapping a stick in your face. You you froze up for it's, a moment. My internet connection is unstable. Your internet connection is unstable. Machines. Yeah. I mean, aren't we all unstable, really, when we no. think about it? <laughs> no, absolutely not. Before you can be stable, you must be unstable. Right? That's the aphorism that I'll use. Yeah, but uh, that's that's true. Come on. That's a that's a thing. The Phoenix <laughs> is the best. Um mm-hmm. I think to your point, the pieces that I like the best were pieces that the humor comes out of the writing instead of the visual jokes. So yeah. you know, the fart jokes and all that kind of stuff don't really play for me. So for example, when Invisiboy finally becomes invisible. I think it's hilarious. And all the lead up of how he describes himself and how they roll eye. I mean, that stuff's really funny. Yeah. But I think that when I was younger- well, I think that's a great joke because it's a great joke simply because like it, it, you're getting led to believe that he can't do that and then he can. Right. And I think that's such a lovely like, oh, well, yeah, he actually can do this. This is great. And I think, you know, the slapstick part is him being naked at the end. And I think that didn't play as well as I remembered. I mean, I knew it was coming because I've seen this movie several times. And uh, yeah, that kind of stuff doesn't age that well because, uh, you know. Let me, let me ask you this, though. I wrote this down. Why, when he becomes invisible, do his clothes fall off? Yeah, it doesn't make any... I mean, it's yeah, because it's just a shitty visual joke. You know, like, why is the sphincter in this movie? You, do, you don't need his character at all, other than uh, other than just being gross. I thought uh, the waitress thing was a little weird, but I think that's a comic book trope, you know, and uh, trying to find himself through this budding relationship. Uh, it was okay. But I also mm-hmm. thought, is it Claire Forlani? Anyways, the actress that plays the waitress, uh, you know, she's not a great actress. Yeah. So uh, the parts where she's in are pretty wooden. Well, yeah, yeah. It's, it's one of those things that I think it's um, overly criticized too. I, I, sometimes even in modern filmmaking, which is, it feels like they felt compelled to have this love storyline when I don't think this movie needs it. Yeah, it's there, there's no real reason. He's already friends with this group. Like, have some one of those people be the one who's kidnapped that they have to go and rescue. Like, we don't need to introduce this other character that 
he is romantically involved with. And they have that natural connection between Janine Garofalo and Ben Stiller kind of as peers and comedians. You could easily throw that storyline. You know, it almost felt like they were going to go there anyways because they start teasing each other and, and mm-hmm. have that antagonism, um, which I thought was kind of fun, um, if not funny. And so you could have this sort of coming to know yourself through those already established. So I agree. I, I thought that part was quite heavy. But yeah. Uh, and then there's some silly stuff. I don't like. I don't think a modern audience will think Disco Boys is that funny anymore. That kind of silly yeah. idea of what disco was has disappeared. Um, people just don't. Oh, make fun. by the way, I don't know if you visited the IMDb for this movie at all. Do you know what one of the actors is? Sung Kang from the Fast and the Furious. Oh, that's awesome. Is one He's in them. there in, yeah. in makeup. He's in the background. You, you don't see him very. Now I feel like I have to watch the there. movie again. Um, <laughs> he's back, man. He's, uh, Han is back. Oh, he's back. Han is back. Spoiler alert uh, for the new Fast and Furious movie. <laughs> yeah, and then they had the Goody Mob sort of, uh, with their cameo, which was kind of corny. Uh, you know, the one mm-hmm. thing that I did like, uh, even though uh, I think this trope's gone too, with the f- I like that the frat boys were all 40. Uh, I thought that was funny because they've all aged, <laughs> uh, but they're still, you know, yeah. drinking their brewskis. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I kind of chuckled at that yeah you know what other you know, you know what i loved in this movie that? um the fact that they play all star not once but oh, twice God, yeah but in, in this movie the 90s as we're learning that, like if you wanted to see like the pure <laughs> 90s-ness of this movie is <laughs> that they play all star twice in this movie you know what we need a separate episode kyle is uh music and scoring of 1999 i i swear to god they're reusing <laughs> the same not song good sometimes it's like <laughs> Yeah. Like, how is Smash Mouth... I mean, Mouth- I'm sorry to everyone who loves All-Star, but <laughs> whatever. How is Smash Mouth in every other movie we've watched this year? It's like, I don't know. It's it's unbelievable. <laughs> I'm pretty sure this is the second time we've heard it, but... I think Smash Mouth, weren't they in Idle Hands? It doesn't matter. I mean, I will always say, I, that one thing I actually really do love is I love any time a movie casts Tom Waits in anything. Oh, man. Because... I love the fact that he speaks like he just smoked 20 cigarettes and then came to set. He's awesome. He's, uh, yeah, he's just, he's just himself. And I loved his non-lethal inventions. Uh, they were fucking hilarious. Even though uh, towards the end, they just don't yeah. make any sense. But uh, that intro of how they're all non-lethal is pretty hilarious. The only other two things I have written down here is that there is a phrase, I forget now which character actually says this, but I also am a big fan of people who mix up sayings or aphorisms and so the exact quote is i don't need a compass to tell me which way the wind shines <laughs> and i don't know why but that this cracks me up because it's a it doesn't really make any sense but they're also mixing up two different uh, thought processes there but isn't that uh, the furious's character that he gets all of his uh, so. quotes yeah, yeah. wrong <laughs> and then the other big thing too is i think that this is an in the one i guess piece of thematic filmmaking that's going on that i think is kind of interesting definitely from a 90s take here is like how they're trying to fight against cynicism you know like that is kind of what the subtext is here it's like we're not superheroes and we can't fix anything so we might as well not even try and it's like the ben stiller character's like no we're gonna actually try and do it and we're gonna overcome the odds sort of thing and then he falls into cynicism and everyone has to pull him out which is a, a fairly standard trope in 90s filmmaking too, I think. But I think this does shoot forward where uh, so many of our like prestige dramas and even superhero films now have to have this healthy dose of like the world is awful and it's never going to get better. Like it, that's like like the overriding messaging, which gets pretty depressing to watch <laughs> over and over and over again. 
Yes, which is why we've argued about the MCU. You know what I like too is uh, speaking to that point that in the end it's uh, the family man William H Macy who's got to pick up the, right. the mantle. Um, so it's like there's a I, sense I, of balance. I think I agree because in in another different hands I think it would be the Ben Stiller character that would be like the leader, but he realized no, I'm not a good leader. His <laughs> William H Macy is the good leader. His uh, existential crisis is actually pretty funny too when he when he's in the yeah. truck and he's like I'm I'm the furious uh, uh, you know I have no powers. Uh, he plays that really well, but that's Ben Stiller, right? He does neuroticisms uh, and and sentence uh, i actually wrote in my notes too much smash mouth too much smash mouth in the 90s <laughs> <laughs> don't ever watch shrek then because you'll get it all the time uh, uh my favorite uh, f- oh uh, let me just give you my favorite phoenix yeah. quote uh, to learn my teachings i must first teach you how to learn i mean that's genius <laughs> man <laughs> you know what it reminds me of and i forget where i heard this for the very first time but there's like some ancient proverb about that like in order for me uh, like if i ask you uh can you teach me how to bake an apple pie it's like yes but first we must invent the universe right like it's like that's basically what you have to uncover and unpack and that's why i get really angry at monks um wow. so wow the, the only other thing is i'll say is from the musical theater fan they do play hello dolly in german in this movie weird which is pretty fun yep. Don't know what that says about anything, but that uh, that is a thing that it happens. It says something about you, Kyle. It says something <laughs> it about you. We're done here. Uh, all right. Well, the machine is telling us to wrap up here. So I guess, well, let's, p- let's pitch that uh, question that we normally ask each other or quite often ask each other. A, do you think this holds up and do you think it is culturally relevant still, Dave? No, m- mostly no. I, 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 don't, I don't see a young audience caring about this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think as we discussed, there are themes, like primary themes in it that would hold up if the story was woven a little bit more intricately. Uh, and it would have to be acclimatized to the now prevalent you know, superhero universe. But I think all of these ideas of making fun of superhero culture would be greatly received right now because... Uh, Christ, like what, what's MCU releasing four to five if it wasn't for COVID it's four yeah. to five movies a year uh, it's well yeah and then plus like their mini series on right, Disney Plus like they're really pumping them out yeah, yeah. and uh, I think you know uh, uh, pretty soon just like with Pixar they'll be you know and they're already kind of are but like DreamWorks will get in and make a superhero film like it's mm-hmm. just we're overwhelmed they're you know like when I took my one film class in university they mentioned how oftentimes certain genres go through this um, I don't know, evolutionary journey. I don't know how else to phrase it. But it's basically you, you get like the, the prototypes, like them trying to figure out what the genre is. And then eventually gets into like, this is the classical examples of this type of filmmaking. And then you get like the anti-filmmaking. So it like flips those conventions on its head. And then finally you get into like, parody or satire of that genre after it's kind of run its course and you see this really well with the western it's like trying to figure itself out and it becomes like the biggest thing from like the 50s to like the early 70s or to the 60s then it starts to get like the dark western in the 70s and then finally you get blazing saddles in the 80s and that kind of ends the whole oh, like western where well, you get a sl- yeah. kind of come back and forth but it's definitely not like at the height it ever was and i haven't really seen you're sort of seeing like that progression in the superhero genre right now where MCU and, and DC kind of figure out what they wanted to say with superhero films. 
And now you're kind of getting like the anti-superhero films occasionally being brought out, usually not by those studios, but, but, but still being made. And so it feels like naturally like Mystery Man should have come years later. And I'm sure it's going to come at some point and people are going to be like, okay, yeah, you know, right. I can see like the conventions for what they are and it falls out of favor. And then another big genre will come and fill its place. Who knows what that's going to be? My hope is the dance film, but that is, I love dance that's, movies. That's my hope. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, we, the step up franchise, there's a lot of gold in there, man. And, and a lot of shit, but there's, there's some, there's some nuggets. Um, you know, I, I think it, I think that uh, ebb and flow transcends movies. And I think like you brought up again earlier, I think that was what was happening in comic books at that time. And I think, yeah, um, even Marvel was getting to the point where they were starting to have to make fun of themselves because none of this stuff made sense anymore. Um, until the, yeah, and, it was getting so convoluted and like, none of this makes sense. Well, I, I, you know, it's convoluted. Emerson was asking me about spider-man and i i had to answer i'm like there's no one spider-man anymore there are like there's 16 you could have just told him it's peter parker it's not though there's like 16 different spider-mans like uh currently whatever it is currently developed as separate Mm -hmm. streams of comic books that schism happened in the late 90s right because yeah you know they're used to just however convoluted stories got they're used to just be a spider-man comic right or a wolverine comic. there's only one spider-man he's a white teen okay (laughs) Don't well, take this away from early me, Early 20s, he's now a reporter. It took him 60 years <laughs> yeah, to right. evolve. Um, <laughs> and then, you know, the stories, there used to be famous artists because they would they would put the stories mm-hmm. on their head with their different style. And that, that's gone now. And when I walk into a comic book store, I can't go through the standard comic book aisles anymore. I have to stay in a graphic novels or find something serialized because uh, it's very confusing. But uh, I think that's why Mystery Men actually, yeah, it only makes sense for comic book nerds uh i don't think yeah it makes sense for moviegoers and i would stretch that out to be 99 as well i think it's probably why the movie is a flop so i also don't think it holds up is what i'm going to answer to that question uh dave why don't we get into our ratings what would you out of five give to mystery men i don't know yeah i think i think two and a half i think i'll go middle of the road I would do Middle three, but road. after we're talking, I feel like, you know, you got some valid points here that I'm <laughs> living in my head with this movie. Well, the, uh, I am going to give it a three, uh, for, for me, this is just a, a very Kyle thing. I find that 2.5 veers into like bad territory for me. So like, this is just a movie I'm have kind of already forgotten that I watched. So it's completely middle of the road three for me, which means that we average that out to 2.75. Now everyone can take a look at these ratings. I should point out on our letterbox page, letterbox.com slash KDVSTM. KDVSTM of course is also where you can find us on Twitter and on Instagram. But Dave, we have a record setting tie going on here right now. We are tied with a bunch of films. Uh, let me just run them through here for you. We have Tarzan, Notting Hill, South Park, She's All That, and Ravenous. So all of those are now rated the exact same. Would you put that above them, in the middle, or at the bottom? And those are read in order, right? Yeah, so from the top down, from the top down, Tarzan, Notting Hill, South Park, She's All That, Ravenous. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> I was kind of continue to read, but that is, that is it. 
Uh, oh, that's a tough one, eh? Uh, yeah, I know. I think I know where I would probably slot this. But that's what she said. Are you thinking about uh, just above ravenous, below she's all that? <laughs> I, I, I'm sorry. So I don't think it's that. I don't think I would actually probably put it between Tarzan and Notting Hill out of that list. Oh, you would but, put it above Notting Hill. I thought you. Uh, yeah. No, am I thinking of the other? Oh, sorry, sorry. You know what I'm doing? Oh my gosh, I can't believe I did that. I just confused Notting with Hill with Bri- Runaway Bride. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, I would put I would put underneath Notting Hill. For yeah, sure. that's what I was thinking because uh, you like Notting Hill. Yeah, Kyle, I do. Allegedly, I think we're seeing. I do. You know, there's some. Hey, I'm just a, I'm just a Hank Azaria voice, Dave. <laughs> Who knows anymore? Uh, what was after Runaway Bride? <laughs> after Notting Hill was. <laughs> So, as underneath that is uh, South Park, She's All That, Ravenous. South Park. Yeah, I, I would put it in the middle. I, I think I would put it, I, knowing you, uh, let's put it under South Park. Mm-hmm. And uh, Okay. I don't know. Do you think above She's All That or below? Yeah, let's, let's put it like, let's put it between She's All That and South Park. Let's just put it there. Yeah. I would more likely watch this than She's All That again. So, that means that Entering our list at the number 18 position is Mystery Men. All right, uh, Dave, let's read some trivia. So Tom Waits' odd hand gestures when explaining the psychofraculator were the result of him writing his dialogue on his fingers and reading the words as he went along. <laughs> of course it was. It's <laughs> amazing. Uh, uh, I love that. Uh, that reminds there was a, a story out that um, Marlon Brando would do the same thing in The Godfather, which is why he walks around the set so much is because his lines were like taped to like the window and underneath things. So he was just like reading them off as he walked around. According to Hank Azaria, the cast argued constantly with each other over the comedic tone of the film. Maybe that's why it, it, it feels a little bit awkward. Uh, apparently, too, I don't know how well uh, uh, substantiated this is, but apparently like Greg Kinnear and um, Bensler almost like got into a fist fight on the set of this movie. So I don't think a lot of people got along <laughs> for some weird reason. As much as I've liked Ben Stiller's work, I imagine like some people, uh, he's not that easy to be around. He seems like a very intense person, you know? Oh, so he's, he's the David Yun of Hollywood. <laughs> what you keep calling me. You chained me to this desk, Kyle. <laughs> right, right. I, I know. I guess that is true. Uh, there's some trivia here for you to read out, Dave. Sure. A number of the sets used in the film are the same sets used in Batman Forever. Uh, can we quickly just talk about how it was mm. so Batman from the 60s more than Batman Forever? I, the only thing they needed was the spinny wheel. Uh, the spinny wheel, yeah, yeah. Anyways, even the bad guys. I mean- the ba- Batman from the 60s is also what made me want to have a uh, Shakespeare bust on my desk. I could like turn its head open and then like a secret walkway would appear. How that isn't standard for interior design is still beyond (laughs) me. (laughs) I mean, it's essentially... I mean, I can understand why, like, especially if you're building your own house, it's like, can I have like a secret room with no windows um, (laughs) behind this bookshelf? As we saw in Parasite, it's probably more prevalent than we think. True. The Bowler's stream of consciousness monologue in support of independent filmmaking at the conclusion of the film was originally not intended to be included in the finished print. Janine Garofalo was instructed by director Kinka Usher. It's probably Usher, right? Who cares? Sure. Uh, to say whatever came to her mind at the time. Usher, Usher simply wanted to use up some excess film. Usher liked her performance so much, he edited it into the final print. I mean, it's such a Janine Garofalo 
ad lib. It's yeah, it's basically her doing a stand up <laughs> yeah. set at the at the very end of the movie. All right. Well, that is some trivia. That is Mystery Man. I guess, Dave, we should find out what we are reviewing here next week. Okay, Let me just push on. this button. Smash Mouth Documentary. Come on, Smash Mouth Documentary. <laughs> it, I wish I knew what that was called <laughs> off the top of my head. S- smashing um, Mouths. Oh! Smashing Mouths. <laughs> <laughs> Still smashing. Yeah. yeah. Still, <laughs> I'm very excited. This is super exciting for me, Dave. We get to watch next week Galaxy Quest. Oh, nice. A five. It's one of my favorite movies five. that I remember. Yeah. We're going to see a good one. We're going to see a good one. I feel, when's the last time we watched a five, Kyle? Oh, it's been a Fuck, while. Uh, the closest is probably the Iron Giant. Yeah, that was but, a good movie. That was a while ago. But that was a while ago oh, now. Man. All right, I'm ready. I'm ready to feel good about myself again. Well, talking about feeling good about myself, look at this cape. Look at its switch. It's a lot of sequins, man. So swishy. Yeah. You should also probably wear clothes under it. 